What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a. What is today? What is pandemic uh, Wednesday? Today is Wednesday, by my count. Uh, we're taping this on an early Wednesday morning with Tom Westerham. Tom, good morning, sir. How are you? Chase, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being back, man. It's been. It's been a while. Um, you are one of the early, early guys on this podcast. Tom, I think you and I have been talking slash podcasting for, I turned 30 in a month, so I'm going to say five years. <laughs> it's been a minute, man. It has. Yeah, we've we've been doing this for a while. And uh, welcome to the Almost 30 Club, man. I'm uh, I like, you know, 30s, 30s, not so bad. People, uh, people might tell you it's bad. And it's really not so bad. No, I, I enjoy getting older. Getting older is great. Getting older, you get more comfortable. Like, I love what I know at this point in my life. The the certainty about who you are and the giving up on certain things about your life where you're like, that's just never going to be me. And you just move past it. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I, uh, yeah, I, I would say I feel very similarly. And, like, and, and you definitely, um, like, the things that you give up on and then, like, the things that you can focus on as a result of giving up on the other things. Uh, you know, I think that definitely, uh, it's, it, it, it's definitely a, uh, a nice shift over the years. I will say there was this meme I saw, I think my girlfriend sent this to me of like all the, like, it's amazing that this same body is the one that would get up at like six o'clock in the morning for school, go do school work for eight hours, go to basketball or track practice and then do homework all night and just be fine. And this is like yeah. where we're at now. Like that used to just be a normal thing that the body could do. And now it's just pain all the time from an hour workout every day. And you're like, oh my goodness. Like I just have pain everywhere. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent true. I mean, I like, I obviously haven't played basketball in a while during the pandemic, but it's, yeah, that's, that's the biggest place where I felt it's just like anytime I played pickup, like, um, like in my mid twenties, uh, you know, when I was, before I had a kid and everything, I was, I was, literally playing like three to four hours of basketball every single day. And, uh, That's not then, doable anymore, you know, I, like it's not even, cl- I can't even come close to that. No. Yeah. Like, uh, but like my, and, and honestly I've done like irreparable damage to my knees. Same. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, I, it's, I'm never going to get better. So yeah, no, we're just going to be <laughs> the old basketball writers who are just like squeaking by the, uh, the arenas just like with our canes down the line, Tom, um, it will, it'll be good. Um, we'll be all right. Um, Tom, what, uh, what have you been reading? What have you been watching the, in the, in the last week outside of, uh, the Boston Celtics? Yeah. So I've been, uh, I've been reading a couple of books. Um, I've actually, uh, a little, a little bit of, a little bit of nonfiction. Um, just, uh, <laughs> um, some, uh, some, uh, deep dives into uh certain aspects of american history mm. and i've also been reading um uh it's, it's actually a book uh the, the fifth season it's uh, kind of like a kind of like a fantasy book uh it's uh nk jemison i believe is the author uh okay he's got like a whole trilogy there i i, I 
came out a while ago, but it's, it's really good. Um, so I've been reading those. Uh, I haven't been watching much during the pandemic. My wife and I have tried to cut back a little bit. Mm. Um, we got like, we got, we got like a month into the pandemic and we were like, yeah, we have like streaming, you, like you can just literally blow entire weeks at a time. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you gotta be careful. Watching Netflix. So we, yeah, exactly. And we were, we definitely weren't careful early on. So we, well, nobody was, a little to be fair. Turkey, we we thought the world was yeah, over. Exactly. Like it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We didn't feel guilty about it or anything, but we definitely, when it became clear that this was not going to be like a month long thing, we were like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's find some other things we can do. So I got, you know, I've gotten a lot better at guitar, that kind of thing. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's uh, nothing so bad. I'll never forget my first run during the pandemic and going by, like, this was back when I was still living in downtown Atlanta and uh, just running down my street and just seeing the recycling bins, just the amount of alcohol that I saw <laughs> all across my run over a three-mile stretch across downtown Atlanta. It, it was just unfathomable. I, I didn't know how it was possible. And um, the lines at the drive through liquor store just being, like, an hour long and just... It, it was insane like i'll never forget that and just uh what uh what that did but um looks like we're uh, at the tail end tom we're we're nearing nearing the end um don't forget folks you can listen to this podcast by going to chase com. you can read tom at let me check my notes here boston.com <laughs> that's right very easy very easy very good uh website uh, name i think a lot of people are going to type in boston.com but uh yeah and if you like <laughs> the seo value of boston.com is pretty crazy <laughs> it really is i i guarantee you it's it's pretty well um not to i don't know if it's like chased on podcast.com valuable but uh, i'm sure it's in the same ballpark um on this show today tom we're going to talk about the celtics you're not going to believe this the celtics um they're rumored interest in john collins who i have a lot of takes on um, the Knicks kind of figuring it out if they can get some guards to get back into the rotation. Um, the Magic keeping Markel Fultz, your old friend, and Jonathan Isaac, yes, uh, untouchable as the only untouchable two guys in the Jeff Hammond and uh, Jeff Weltman. John Hammond, Jeff Weltman, I don't know, they, those combinations. Weltman and Hammond, the, the dynamic <laughs> duo down there in Orlando. And uh, Aaron Gordon probably being on the chopping block and then the Hawks. I have some Hawks stuff I wanted to bounce off you. But um, let's start with the Celtics, the team that you cover, Tom. You've covered for a long time now. They are playing 500 basketball. They are super thin. <laughs> Semi-old Julius starting, which is never a good thing, I don't think. <laughs> if you're a Boston Celtics fan, you're like, he's fine as a ninth, tenth guy. Uh, him starting, not great. The Tristan Thompson signing, not looking all that great. Um, our guy, the Time Lord, Robert Williams coming into his own. I want to ask you about that. But um, what, in your estimation, has plagued the Celtics the most this year? Well, I mean, you touched on it with the depth. Like The problem with this team is that they've got two really, really good players, uh, two stars, uh, genuine stars. they got Marcus Smart, who's good. Um, you know, they've got Kemba Walker, who is... Um, you know, like has struggled this year, and, and I, I think there's signs of him coming back around, but it, it's happening a little bit slowly. Um, and then it's just like the, the team isn't that good. Like, like just kind of the rest of the team. You mentioned Rob Williams; he's shown a lot of flashes, and I, I think Daniel Tice is a good basketball player. But you know, when you're talking about Tice, um, who is like you know perfectly solid, but not a star by any means, or when you talk about Rob, who is is he Rob now? Really is he not Robert? His, uh, you, you can go Rob or Robert. Okay. Um, it, 
Interestingly, uh, I, I so I, I spoke to uh, on, on my podcast. Uh, I, I spoke to the Riffs man, uh, uh-huh. who um, if people are familiar with him on Twitter, about the Time Lord nickname, and yeah. he, he's ditching it. Um, he he mm. feels like people are using it, are misinterpreting it as making fun of Rob, and he kind of hates that because um, the, mm. the whole point was to make fun of people um, who were freaking out about Rob being late for things. <laughs> so. Uh, so he's ditching the Time Lord nickname. Uh, in respect to the Riffs, man, I am uh, going either Rob or Robert. But yes, either one is fine. Um, but you know, I mean, he's come on. He's come on really strong. I, I think he's, uh, you know, he's definitely looking like a solid player. But the, the rest of the team just isn't very good, and and isn't and there's plenty of potential, but there just isn't any. There really aren't enough adults kind of on the team. There aren't like an, enough like veterans um, or, or at least impact veterans. The team just is a 500 team, you know, and that's weird to say when they have. I thought they deserved both of their all stars. I think you know yeah. both Tatum and and Jalen Brown are, are really good. I agree, um, but it's just the the gulf after after those two, and especially you know when you group Smart and Kemba, um, the gulf after those guys is, is really um, really difficult to overcome. And that talent can certainly beat some of the worst teams in the league, but the Celtics have not yet beaten any of the contenders, and I think that kind of exemplifies where they're at right like they are they're they're not a contender right now um it's i think it's going to be hard to get there and uh but but you know they're better than some of the bad teams and i think that's just kind of where they're going to be this season do you buy the idea that this is just going to be a much better postseason team than a regular season team no not really okay um so you're not buying into the way they play and the isolation basketball and that Jalen, your turn my turn with tatum suits itself better for a seven game series than it does in a random Tuesday night in Charlotte. I mean, it might, but I I think the problem is when you look at like, maybe it gets them through, like if they get a favorable matchup in the first round, maybe it Mm. gets them through that. But you know, the Sixers are, I mean, they can't, they have nothing for Joel Embiid. And I mean, to be fair, like nobody does this year. Like he's, he's been incredible, but they, the Celtics, especially they brought interest in Thompson, and if you look at Thompson's numbers over the years against Embiid, they weren't that bad. Like, Embiid didn't really destroy Tristan Thompson. And then the two times they've played this year, Embiid has had 42 and 38 against him. So, like, and those numbers, you just, you can't, you know, <laughs> there's there's some validity to the argument that, like, maybe if you just let Embiid get his and then stop everybody else, but, like, 42 and 38 is way too much of him getting his. Um, so, like, this, I think they'd have a lot of trouble with the Sixers. Uh, they beat Milwaukee earlier this year, like in the like the first game of the season on Tatum's banked in three pointer. I just think Milwaukee has more firepower and and more depth, even though you know they have their own issues. I think, and I definitely think that Brooklyn is way too good um, for the Celtics. So, I mean, like maybe the Yurts turn my turn thing works in the playoffs, and and Tatum and Brown are really really good at it. Um, but you know, both those guys are absurdly talented, but. Um, you know, it's just that there's like, it's just, it's really hard for me to see the Celtics beating any contender in a seven game series. I just don't think they have the, I just don't think they have the firepower for it. Why do you think it's a, my turn, your turn thing with them? And do you think it's a problem that they don't necessarily make each other better? Um, it's kind of reminds me of the Eastern version of the Clippers where the Clippers don't really get anything out of their lead ball handler and Pat Bev and they need, they need somebody there in that spot and Kawhi and Paul George, the, it, it, my turn, your turn thing. And Paul George leading the second unit is good, but it just seems like there is something missing, um, on that front and they need someone to help, um, both of them make it easier for just them in the half court. But I don't know. Do you think 
a lot of this just comes down to Kemba not being at the point where he can make it easier for both of them. They have to do so much. Or do you think there will come a time when Jalen and Jason will complement each other a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that's, and I, I've, you know, the, the Clippers comparison I, I've long thought is actually a good one because, um, like, similar to what you were saying about Paul George, Tatum runs with the second unit really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he, he's been really dominant with that unit. Um, I think there's there's problems there that, like, it, certainly Kemba not being Kemba has hurt. Um, that said, I, I'm I'm curious. I think it's a very valid question. I don't know what the, what the answer is. I mean, the Celtics have talked about it a lot this year. Just last night, um, they lost to Utah. And one of the big topics after the game, I mean, you watch that Utah team, and it, the ball is just zipping around the perimeter, and everybody's getting good shots, and everybody's instinctive. And when you watch the Celtics, I think one of the big problems is that nothing looks instinctive, right? Like, like Tatum will, will identify – like, Tatum will catch the ball. He'll identify a mismatch. That guy will come and set him a screen, and then he's got, you know, maybe the mismatch or maybe he's got a small advantage, but it all just feels very mechanical. It's like, okay, my next move is to dribble this way around the screen. Okay, my next move is I've got Derek Favors on me. Let me get to the basket. And Tatum is is good enough to make that work sometimes, but I I just, I don't know. Like, there's not really that kind of continuity. There's not really that um, kind of smooth flow that that we see from from some of the the best teams in the league. And, um you know, I, I do think that's a genuine problem. Um, I'm not sure how to solve it. I, I think that the, um, I, I don't think that it's like, like unsolvable or anything. But whatever it is, like the, the Celtics definitely need to upgrade somewhere, and they really need Kemba. Um, if they're going to be a, a real contender this year, they need Kemba to be that unifying force. I don't know if he is or not. Um, if he's capable of being that, that or not. Uh, but one way or the other, that I think that is really kind of the crux of what they need. It's just like their stars need to um, really complement each other well. And, and they have at times and they haven't at times. And that's been a problem. What's super fascinating about them at the deadline, because nothing is ever fascinating about the Celtics at the deadline, because Danny Ainge doesn't do anything like that is his bread and butters. They don't make in season adjustments. The Spurs don't, the Celtics don't. That's just how it's always been, but they have this massive trade exception and they have a, depth problem like there is just it would be gm malpractice to not address this midseason um before the deadline but i'm not sure who the right answer is because when you see guys like john collins and miles turner obviously floating around for them but i i don't really know who the right fit is do you add another big or do you give robert williams more time do you like the rotation with him and tice um or do you try and revisit the al horford thing like or do you go and address the the absence of Gordon Hayward and move smart and package him with something in the trade exception and acquire a, another playmaker to make the lives easier for um, Tatum and Brown and sacrifice smart in this? Um, I don't know. I think it's very fascinating what they do here. But what do you what do you think they're going to do? And also, what would you do in this situation? So. I, I would not pursue any bigs like no miles Turner. John Collins is, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily pursue him, but I can see the, the rationale for it. Um, obviously he's a little bit more, a little bit more versatile, like, you know, decent floor spacer, all that. Um, you he's know, younger he's guy. playing miles really Turner. well at the five right now with Capella out. Like he yeah. has been really good the last couple of games and he can do that. I just, I think it wears on his body. And like, if you're worried about 
the Sixers in round two, then uh, yeah, <laughs> this exactly. is this is a problem. You can't play Collins at the five. Exactly. Um, and I mean, you know, there's there's certainly some validity. Obviously, he's going to be owed a lot of money after mm-hmm. this year. And if you're going to use your trade, ex- well, I mean, they wouldn't have to use the trade exception on him. But if you're going to go get him um, and pay the price that Atlanta would presumably be asking for, um, you're going to be locked in pretty much to like whatever he wants, because you can't just let him walk after that. Um, so like those guys don't necessarily make the most sense to me. Marcus Smart isn't going anywhere. Uh, like the Celtics were just brutally bad without him for a lengthy stretch there. Um, he's definitely kind of a, a heart and soul defensive presence on the team that they're not going to get rid of him. I don't think, um, especially not for an in-season move. The one thing to remember about the traded player exception is, and Danny Ainge has hinted at this, and I don't know how much of this is gamesmanship and how much is real. They can still use it in the off season. Um, and that is kind of what Ainge has hinted that he's going to do. That's the Ainge um, special. They, exactly. And, and so you don't know, like, <laughs> there, there's an argument um, for using it at the deadline, which is that if teams know you have to use, that it's a use it or lose it trade exception, then, you know, they might try to kind of, you know, extort picks out of you or whatever they're going to try to do. Um, but there, but there, is, like, there is an argument for waiting to the offseason if you don't like any of the options right now. At the same time, um, like I said, you know, teams might try to get more out of you in the offseason because they know you have no choice but to, but to try to get rid of it. So to me, I think the most logical option is Harrison Barnes. Obviously, he's been floated around quite a bit. Um, I just don't think the Celtics need a big. Their big rotation is pretty good. Um, I, like I, I think they should. I definitely think they should wait around and see what Rob Williams is going to do. He's shown so many flashes this season. And Harrison Barnes, like I mean, you, like they really need more wing depth. I think Barnes could come right in and be the starter. You talked about how Shemi Ojale started the other night, and and, ex- and you're exactly right. Like he's a perfectly reasonable ninth man, eighth man. But when you know when you're getting 19 minutes and he doesn't take a shot, like uh, which is what happened against Utah. Um, and, you know, and just, he, you know, made a couple defensive mistakes. It's like, it's a problem. So yep. you go out and you upgrade Harrison Barnes, Shemi Ojale to Harrison Barnes is just a massive upgrade. Um, and, you know, that would, and that, you know, moves smart potentially back to your bench. It gives your bench, which where he's been right now, but it, but it gives your bench kind of that punch of having another really solid veteran in there. And, you know, I, I don't know how much Harrison Barnes is going to cost, but I expect he'll cost less than, than John Collins just because Collins is, you know, so much younger. So I would pursue Harrison Barnes. I would, I would give that a good look. Um, like, just kind of the other names that are out there just don't really inspire me. Like, I'm not a huge Aaron Gordon guy. Mm. Um, you know, the, like, the, and, and then, you know, when you look at the rest of the, the, rest of the Magic guys, I don't know. It, I don't know that there's anybody that's really going to have an impact. So I would go get the, the you know, the talented wing who can shoot um, and, and create a little bit for himself and, and hope that that really boosts the team headed toward the offseason. Interesting. Um, where is Kimba health-wise? What do you know? He, so he insists that he is completely fine, that he's just getting his legs back under him. Um, he really He has, over the last few weeks, had more success. Um, he, he's looked a little bit better. He started to create a little bit more for himself. He's still not really getting the same pop around the rim, which I think is concerning. I mean, before he had all of those, he had that whole bag of tricks like around the rim where he could scoot in and, and kind of create some space for himself um, against bigger defenders, and that obviously really helped him as a scorer. Um, like it, it just he doesn't look fully back yet, and and it's hard to parse through how much of that is real, um, but. I think that he's still. I, I think that the best case scenario for the Celtics is that he's still getting 
back to full health, that he's not fully there. Because if he is fully there, then I, I think they've got a bit of a problem on their hands because he's just not, you know, he's not Kemba Walker, uh, you know, 2017-18 Kemba Walker or whatever it might be. So um, I, th- I think there's some real concerns there, but I do think that there's plenty of time for him to, I mean, he's, he's only, you know, he's only a couple months, uh, maybe a month or two. Um, removed from coming back from knee stuff. And that's, you know, kind of concerning at his age, but it also could take some more time to, to get back to full health. Um, last thing on the Celtics, and we'll move on. Um, Robert Williams, playing really well. The lobs hit, are, are right there, getting some blocks, hitting the boards hard. Is he quietly becoming the, the Celtics' best option at the five and should be the starter at the five for the foreseeable future? So I think so, um, but I, I think that what the Celtics are trying to juggle is pretty complicated right now. They have Daniel Tice, who was really good for them last year, and honestly, just, like just kind of does deserve to be there. Like he's a good center. They went out and spent all this money on Tristan Thompson in the off season, which obviously, in retrospect, isn't looking like the best use of the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception. But um, it happened, and they, they feel like they need to get him some minutes. So I understand why they're trying to do this. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, why they're trying to make this work. But I do think that Rob is probably their best option going forward. They say they're limiting his minutes out of some concern for his health. Um, he's had some hip injuries and the Celtics are trying to keep him healthy. That's, that's kind of the go-to that Brad Stevens has been, um, you know, preaching. That said, when we asked Rob about it the other day, he was like, yeah, like my hip feels great. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to lock in and, and get on the court. And he, he certainly didn't say it in a way that said like, I'm frustrated and I wish they would play me more. But it did kind of make me wonder if, if maybe, you know, the hip injury is, is sort of a uh, what the Celtics are using to make sure that their other bigs get enough time. Um, I, I'm not sure. One way or the other, I think that the Celtics really do need to try to extend him this summer and uh, kind of make him the starter going forward as long as his health is going to allow for that. Because he, he has not played more than 23 minutes this year. Um, he, he just does not play very much. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's why he's been so good. Maybe that's keeping him healthy. Um, but he's definitely, I think, I think he's definitely their best option, um, health, uh, you know, health permitting. The Knicks, they're in the playoffs right now. They started today. Um, Derek Rose is out with health and safety protocols. Austin Rivers is out of the rotation. Um, but they've gotten a lot out of Emmanuel quickly. They've gotten absolutely nothing out of Obi Toppin. We had that great ending to the Nets-Knicks. <laughs> Uh, game the other night, Nerlens Noel. I'm still a Nerlens Noel guy. He's playing well. Julius Randle's playing well. R.J. Barrett's gobbling up boards. He's playing well. Um, are you a believer in the Knicks? And also, who are you higher on of their two young guys who are actually still good, Manuel Quigley and R.J. Barrett? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a I'm a believer in the Knicks in that I, I think they can definitely get to the play-in game and, and have a and have a, like a you know like a real chance there. Uh, and I mean, you know, I, I was not a big um, Tom Thibodeau guy coming in. Mm. I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be um, the answer for them. And, and I mean, look, like their defense has been quite good. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I've been a huge Emmanuel Quickly guy. I was yelling about him before the draft. I just thought there was a lot of there were a lot of really positive indicators about his shooting that I thought would, would translate. I mean, he shot like 90% from the free throw line in college. I, I really liked him. Mm-hmm. I thought the Celtics should take a, take a, take a hard look at him with the 26th pick. And obviously the Knicks snapped him up first and the Celtics got Peyton Pritchard, who's pretty solid, but 
I, I, I think there really might like have been a Kenny Payne connection there as to why the Knicks got uh, Emmanuel Quigley at the end of the first round. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say the Calipari Kenny Payne connection uh, <laughs> was a part of that. I would I would guess. I think you you may be right. Um, I really I, I like R.J. Barrett a lot. I, I've been high on him since I saw him the first time in high school. Mm. Um, I think, I mean, it, like he just looked so polished on on both ends in high school that, that I thought there was something there that was going to translate. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to say quickly, um, just because I think that the shooting is going to be real for, for his entire career. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was like a really highly rated point guard prospect in high school, um, went to college, struggled at uh, Kentucky. That's, you know, certainly not unique to him. Plenty of guys, uh, you know, struggle at Kentucky and then go on to play really well in the NBA. So, um, I'm tempted to say quickly. I'll probably stick with Barrett for now, just because I think the, uh, you know, I think the production this season has been encouraging, and, and uh, just, I mean, like the size and, and everything is, is is really good with him. I, I I've I don't know. I mean, and it is kind of like a stick to my gun thing where, uh, you know, there there were all these evaluations that I really liked about him coming in. Um, so I'll stay with R.J. Barrett, but like I do really like quickly, and I think the Knicks are definitely cooking with something there. He's a he's a really good player. Would you move DMPCD favorite Kevin Knox or Frankie Smokes, <laughs> who has not hit a shot in literally three games? I think he's O for his last fifteen um, from the floor. Just he is so good defensively, and he is so unfathomably bad offensively. It's it's <laughs> unreal. Um, would you move them because the Knicks are in this weird position where they actually have a bunch of cap space and yeah. they can roll it over and they can just see what happens this summer and go Bradley Beal chasing and all that kind of stuff. Or they can take some bad contracts for maybe not even just bad contracts, but just like guys who are just not worth the money, but they're still really good players like the Gordon Haywards of the world um, who yeah. got overpaid, but he's paid dividends for that Charlotte Hornets team. Um, the Knicks could be in that same position where they're like, hey, we probably can't pull Bradley Beal or somebody like that this summer, but what we could do is we could take someone who is expensive on a team that's going nowhere and just take on a contract like that. And I wonder if it's like a, a Buddy Heald, maybe it's a Harrison Barnes. I, I don't know who it is, but I would, I am curious to see if the Knicks are like, hey, we're making the playoffs this year, no matter what, anyway, um, let's just go and fill up that uh that cap space now rather than just seeing what happens in the summer where the summer has not been kind to the Knicks in recent years so I, I'm curious to see what they do what would you do yeah I mean the thing about the Charlotte uh and Gordon Hayward thing is that like it's so risky to do that like yeah. they like it worked out for them and, and I mean obviously he's been playing phenomenally there but like I mean that's also how they got stuck with Nick Batum right like like yep. you just kind of like go out and, and grab those those big contracts or like, you know, overpay somebody like that's, that's really risky and it can, it can really set you back. And, and right now the Knicks actually have kind of this like fun young nucleus. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I would be pretty hesitant unless you, you really felt like it was going to be somebody like I, I could see like a Vucevic um, type player, like that kind of like all-star where, where, you know, you're going to get production and, you know, maybe you, you know, maybe he helps your young guys along, like maybe something like that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I would be I'd be a little nervous um, if I were the Knicks about about doing that. Just when you've you're building something here that's 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 pretty good. You've got some some good young players. Um, it's probably worth, especially if you make the playoffs this year. You probably buy yourself some time to figure out what's next. Um, to me, that makes some sense. As far as Kevin Knox and and, and Frankie Smokes, I mean, I 
like sure if you can if you can move him for something great but i just don't know what the what the trade value is going to be on and certainly on on frankie i mean maybe you can you know sell somebody on the fact that kevin knox is i mean he's still young he's, he's you know still got good size and everything but I don't know. I I mean, I think both of those guys are, are, are going to be tough to get any real value for if if you're if you're the Knicks and maybe you just want to move off of them because you know it hasn't worked and and that's you know kind of tough to uh, kind of tough to deal with. But you know, if you're if, if you're I, I don't know what team is is looking at Kevin Knox right now and thinking, hmm, I think we could do something with that guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's not gone well, not gone well. But he's like someone just like throw him in the Miami Heat incubator and see what happens. I I would just. The shooting, I still think, is real. Yeah, Miami would yeah. be a fun one. Yeah. I don't know. We shall see. Um, the Magic, we've danced around them a little bit. Markel Fultz, out for the year, was playing really well um, before yeah. um, he was lost uh, for the year. Jonathan Isaac has put on, like, 97 pounds of muscle. So he is now <laughs> a full-on uh, five in the NBA, which is huge. Like, he yeah. being a real five is just going to be... A really fun, interesting thing because I'm still a big Jonathan Isaac guy and what he can bring. Um, Nikola Vucevic at some point has to get moved. Aaron Gordon at some point has to get moved. Evan Fournier at some point has to get moved. Uh, Terrence Ross at some point has to get moved. Um, <laughs> they have a lot of guys that could just help a lot of different teams. They're going nowhere. Um, I am curious to see which ones end up getting moved. Um, Mo Bamba just stinks and doesn't play and is yeah. worse than Kim Birch. Like that's a that's a bummer that that has just not gone well. So moving him, it's like, oh yeah, we can move. Him. It's like you're not getting anything from Mo Bamba at this point. So it's just like might as well just keep him around while you move the other guys. Um, what do you what do you do if you're the Magic? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I've seen some Magic fans, um, you know, talking about how they want to hold on to like the team and try to like, you know, make a move for a play. I mean, I've seen some magic fans like float Bradley Beal's name around. And I'm just, I sure. I mean, if, if you think that that's going to happen, um, I mean, it's tough, right? Because how much patience is there for like, you know, kind of yet another pivot to yet another rebuild, um, you know, within the Orlando organization. And, and that's, I, I think, you know, you start talking about trading Aaron Gordon, trading Vucevic, trading all, you know, a lot of their best players. And I mean, then what are you building around Cole Anthony? Like, it's not even really like they have, I mean, I, I look, I, I love Markel Fultz. I'm, I'm thrilled by his, uh, you know, by his emergence, but um, you know, I mean, like if, if your plan is to build around like Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz kind of going forward uh, and, you know, like, like trying to bottom out, I mean, maybe you get a good pick this year. Like, like if, if you do, then great. Um, you know, if you get Kate Cunningham and, um, all of a sudden, then yeah, sure. Then you're then you're in good shape. But I mean, that's definitely a risk. So I don't know. It's tough. I, I mean, in terms of the guys, I think they could probably get something reasonable for Vucevic. Um, I'm not sure that their asking price is going to be reasonable. Like I, I'm I'm concerned that that they might be asking for you know for too much for him. Um, where you know maybe you could get like you know a couple of nice draft picks or something like that. But but if you're demanding the moon for Vucevic, I think you're, you're not going to get it. So. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're in a tough spot just based just based on the fact that like we don't know kind of um, you know we, like we don't know what like what even is their young core at this point. Like who are kind of their building blocks? I, it's it's tough to say, but I definitely think that I mean I think there's going to be moves before the deadline, and there will definitely be interested teams. But I don't know. Uh, like I, I just I don't even necessarily know like what their direction is or what their core is at this point, and that's a huge problem interesting yeah i don't really know who their core is either i I guess the core right now is literally just 
Markel and Isaac running pick and pop and pick and roll stuff. Um, and yeah. then just being long. Like I, I don't think that was any, uh, anything that they were hiding by drafting Mobamba and going with Isaac and adding the, the lead yeah. that they have. Like they want to be like the Raptors or the Bucks. Like they want to just be long. They want to be able to defend, have five guys on the floor who can defend multiple positions. Um, they just can't really shoot. And Clifford's a def- defense first guy. They want to win with defense and scrappiness and DJ Augustine getting 30 minutes a night. Um, that is their identity, but uh, they just don't have the players and they've just been decimated by injuries. And I'm curious what Vooch's real value is because I, I just wouldn't go near him. I don't think he moves the needle for any contender. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think he's helpful. I think he's like somebody that in a playoff series, if you need to just throw a different wrinkle at a team where they're like, oh, this team, team X can only do this. And now we're going to do 12 minutes of Vooch here. We're going to do 12 minutes of Vooch. And now they have to, you have to make them bend your will. Cause I, I'm just all about versatility now. And I'm just like the Hawks, they can do things where it's like Collins can play the five for a while. And then it's like, okay, Collins is overrun because they went big. Guess what? Collins and Capella now four and five. Like you got to yeah, be able right. to have, that variety, that versatility in the playoffs that um, the Celtics don't have that um, a lot of teams yep. are just searching for because the Lakers were the kings of this last year and they won the title because of it because they were like, all right, we can go big, we can go small with AD at the five if we want to. We can keep AD at the four if we want to. It doesn't really matter. Um, we can do whatever we want and you're going to bend to our will and I think that's where you want to be. And Vucevic helps for certain contenders in that way where it's like he can play 24 minutes where you can throw a different wrinkle at a team and see what they do. Um, last thing quickly, the Hawks. Well, just real quick. Oh, yeah. real quick on, on Vucevic. I would say the the two things I would say about that is one of the one of the reasons that the Lakers worked so well with that is because their their different versatilities were all still like star based. Yes, right. Like they still had they were all still based on on genuine you know I mean, well superstars mostly because it was because it was LeBron and, and AD. And I think the one thing. So just as an example as to what Vucevic could do for a team, like I think he actually makes weirdly some sense for the Celtics if they mm-hmm. went out and got him, just because one of the things they've really missed, you mentioned Al Horford with them, is kind of having that guy at the top of the key who is almost kind of like a triple threat option, like in a weird way, mm-hmm. where he can kind of um, you know drive to the basket, he can like a little bit, he can post up, he can and he can shoot threes, he can and you can just kind bit. of run. Yeah, and you and you can just kind of run dribble handoffs through him, um, and that's that's something the Celtics have really missed. I think is just kind of having that extra look because Daniel Tice can shoot a little bit, but he's not you know he's not like a, a sharpshooter or anything. Like Vooch is, is shooting like six and a half threes a game, and he's making like you know forty two percent of them. Like that's that's really good. So um, I think you know when you start talking about like versatility, he's not like the most versatile player in the world, but he does kind of give you that star versatility a little bit just at purely at the center position like you can't it's not like you can like move him down or anything but he does give you that extra look um kind of of a star so i, I think if you're a contender and, and that's that's something you're interested in like i do think that if, if the celtics i don't think the celtics are going to give up what it would take to get him but if they did I, I do think that he would really help some somebody like the celtics where they just kind of don't have that extra scoring punch and, and that extra kind of star presence at, at the center lastly the Hawks, they're winning basketball games again, Tom. Nate McMillan is they their are. coach. They're, they're beating teams that are just... Like, the Rockets had negative three players available last night, so, like, I'm not <laughs> overreacting to those kind of wins. And they're, but, like, hey, win your clunkers. Win the, gobble up the wins right. when you That's can. 100% right. Um, so I'll take that. But it's also just, like, let's not go the other way, where it's, like, everything's fine now in Atlanta. Um, 
Like I, <laughs> I'm concerned that I have this growing animosity with Hawks fans where you're not going to believe this. Um, Hawks fans and I are on different sides of the fence when it comes to the Trey Young, Luca Doncic conversation, <laughs> Tom. And like I saw, um, he's a, I'm not going to name him, but he, he did quote tweet like, who's the most disrespected player in the NBA? And it's, and he said, Trey Young and, uh, just the amount of Hawks fans are like, yep, absolutely. And I'm just like, what? How is he being? Di-? I just the the complex that surrounds Trey and this whole thing is it drives me nuts. Um, I I just it drives me nuts. He's like my. This is something too, and this I am not a Trey hater, Tom, but he is sure. not fun to watch. He has been very frustrating this year. The frit the threes that he's doing from forty feet away, where he is goading people into the Dwayne Wade fouls, is just awful like he had like three of those in the first quarter of the game before the rockets i'm already blanking on who that was oh Cavs, and uh it was it was annoying and he wasn't doing a lot him and collins don't assist each other they're on different yeah. times like tony snell and collins have some really good chemistry right now on some lobs but collins and trey really are just like playing two different games it seems like at this point um that's not great because Trey's chemistry is really with Capella and Capella's been out. So he isn't able to do as much as he does, but no reddish, no Hunter. I miss Deandre Hunter, but um, are you feeling good about Atlanta right now? I mean, I, I, I'm feeling de- like decent about them. I, what, I guess in a weird way, I wish they would be bad for one more year because if they, <laughs> if they were just like bad this season, I, I really feel like they're kind of like one more really good kind of draft pick away. And at the top of this year's draft, I just feel like there's a lot of players who would really help them. Like, you know, obviously Cade would help anybody, but you know, you look at like, like Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga. Like, I think these are guys who would really boost Atlanta a lot. Um, even when you start to get into like, you know, maybe like your, your Corey Kisper, it's like guys like that. Like, I think there's guys in this year's draft who would really help them. And they're, they're just a little bit too good to get those guys. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's fine. Uh, you know, maybe Trey, you know, develops into a star, like a genuine, genuine star. I mean, Obviously, he's he's you know like an all star caliber player, but like um, you know maybe he develops into like you know your your franchise building block superstar type player, um, and, and you know maybe maybe you just kind of work from there. But yeah, I mean, I feel good about them in that I think that they're certainly good enough to make the playoffs. I, I don't feel I don't know I I mean you know better than I do. I mean like I feel like DeAndre Hunter is like he's he's really obviously made huge strides this season. Um, you know, and then that's really nice. I've always been kind of a Kevin Herter guy. I think there's, I think he's got a lot of potential there. But like, I just don't know if if the the, the rest of this team beyond Trey has kind of the star potential that the Hawks would be looking for. Do you, do you think that's like a fair assessment? I mean, Hunter was getting there before the injury. No one was watching yeah. DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter turned the corner. He was dribbling into threes that worked. Um, yeah, he was defending at an All NBA level. Um, Hunter is there. Reddish is still just the the train wreck that he has the most upside of anyone on this roster. Like Cam Reddish's ceiling is higher than Trey's. And mm-hmm. his floor is also super, super low. So I I have no idea what to make of Cam. And I think that's part of the reason that uh, Lloyd Pierce got fired was not only for the, the personnel stuff, but just Cam's development. Like he is the other piece of the Luka trade. Like Trey obviously is a very good player, but um cam's just gotta gotta figure it out they've got to figure something out with cam and herder has a lot of cj mccollum into him like i'm not saying he's cj mccollum 
I am saying Herter does the same kind of stuff where he yeah. loves taking the weird one footers. He's really good at hanging into mid range shots. He's really good at pulling around the elbow. He loves shooting around the elbow. He's good at floaters. I, I don't know. I think uh, that's just something I, I noticed that I jot down sometimes where I'm like, I'll watch a Blazers game and then I'll watch like all the Hawks games and I'll see it. And I'm like, Hmm, Herter just has some, some CJ McCollum to him, but uh, not obviously not at that level. I know, but- yeah, I know there were members of the Celtics organization that liked Herder quite a bit mm. into the draft. They were they were they were really high on him. Um, and obviously, he went before the Celtics could get to him. Um, one kind of interesting thing about Reddish: so he and Mo Bamba played on the same high school team together. And I remember watching those oh, two no. and being like, "Wow, this like this." Well, I was like, "This Reddish guy is like he's even better than Bamba." And Bamba was mm. awesome in high school. And I was just like, "Man, like Reddish, like I think he's going to be really good." And then, like, you know, he gets, he gets into college, he gets into the NBA, and it's like, well, I mean, you know, he doesn't, like, try all the time. And then when yeah. Bamba left, you're like, yeah, he doesn't try all the time. Like, they, uh, and it was, it's been interesting to watch because, like, in retrospect, it's like, well, maybe, uh, maybe the reason Cam Reddish looked better than Mo Bamba is because he was better than Mo Bamba, but maybe, like, neither of them were actually, like, superstar prospects. I don't know. Like, I'm not, uh, not, not necessarily sure how that's going to shake out at this point. Well, let's hope not, Tom, because I need Cam Reddish to be awesome. Love Cam Reddish, and I love the upside. And also, I mean, just, he's got every single tool. He literally has every single tool. That's why I hate it because he could he could be Paul George, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get there. Um, Tom, what can we check out from you at Boston.com this week? Yeah, so I've got a uh, got an interview with a a Boston Celtics, an unnamed Boston Celtics great that will be up in in uh, in the next couple of days here. Um, and, uh, you know, working on, a working on a couple of other, other bigger stories. Obviously I cover, um, you know, cover the day to day with the Celtics as well as, as well as some, uh, some other sports too. And, uh, you know, people can uh, check out the Geno time podcast that I do with, uh, with uh, the Globes, Nicole Yang, uh, that, that we do a few times a week. So, um, people can, uh, can find me there. All right. Go do that, Tom. Keep up the great work, my friend. And, uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate you, brother. We're back on the Chase Sounds Podcast, and I'm now joined by Sam Perley of Hornets.com, the NBA's league pass favorite, Charlotte Hornets, just as we all expected. Sam, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, man. Um, Is this what you expected from the 2020-2021 Hornets this year? Um... In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think, uh, as we all know, it was kind of a long off season, particularly for the Hornets. We weren't invited to the uh, to the Orlando bubble, so we went nine months without playing. So it's kind of hard to tell what you were going to get when you came back, um, or when we kind of came back in, in December. But um, I would say, in a sense, that yes, I expected a lot of guys to take a step forward in. Um, some of the young guys, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, Martin Twins, Miles Bridges, Jalen McDaniels, a lot of those young guys have taken a big step forward. Terry Rogier as well um, have taken a big step forward this year, internally development, and then the external additions kind of primarily of LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward have really kind of brought everything together this year. So, yeah, a combination of, of yes, I did expect some things, and then no um, – some stuff has kind of been a nice, pleasant surprise. I certainly did not expect to have the unofficial for this team to have the unofficial title of league pass favorites. Um, it's it's been kind of crazy to see the national attention the team is getting and how exciting the play has been and how captivating they've been to an audience. So it's been a lot of fun this year. What is uh what is your favorite aspect of watching a 
of watching LaMelo ball this year? Man, um, there's a lot that's fun. Um, I think it's, I think the thing that stands out to me the most, and I think everyone kind of saw when you're watching the tapes, maybe kind of maybe the NBL games last year, you could tell that the vision was really there. And I think that is what stood out to me the most is you can watch him and you can watch him think. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of a cool thing because you can tell he kind of sees the, he's seeing the floor as a chessboard. So he gets, he's one of the, I think he actually might be leading all rookies in rebounding. So he gets the rebound and it's immediately pushing, you know, long pass down the court or pushing the tempo. I mean, as soon as he gets the ball, the mind starts, working who's where what can i do what's the best how am i going to push this and get this to the other end of the floor in the most effective manner to score so i think the vision that how he sees the court how he's always seems to be two or three moves ahead uh and the way he kind of just analyzes things is really really cool really really advanced for somebody um that's only played 30 something games in the nba and is, is just 19 years old do you think kubchak and jordan and the rest of this front office expected LaMelo to be this good this quickly? Um, I'll be honest. I don't think anybody expected him to be this far along basketball-wise. Okay. I think you can kind of hope. I think you can. when you bring in a rookie, you obviously want him to be good right off the bat. But um, this year in particular, you know, he went a full year without playing a game, um, didn't have a summer league, didn't have kind of a normal conventional offseason um, you know, they only got into the workouts. I mean, he got drafted in November and this started a month later. So I think just factoring all that, I don't think it's, it's, it's hard to imagine him being as good as he is right now. And I think that's just kind of, it's just been a huge pleasant surprise across the board for everybody. Obviously he knew he was talented, um, but having kind of such a different background, you really didn't know what to expect. And I think that kind of goes for a lot of the rookies this year. Just, you had no idea what to expect this past summer um just with such an odd draft process so um i think he's exceeded expectations and he's really created a a buzz no pun intended he's really got our fans excited and he's a guy that um franchise could build around you know moving forward and he's gotten um we've already sold out our first two games back with fans it's only three thousand people um in the first two games so um i think on and off the court he's greatly exceeded expectations thus far Interesting. Um, when you think about the three-man guard dynamic with him, Razier, Graham, did you expect these three to play off each other as well as they have and it to work this well, especially like with just roles and who's starting and who's coming off the bench? And Brego, I, I think, talked about this on Tom Habesher's podcast a few months back where this was something that was probably going to be a thing um, at some point this season if he played his way into it, and Lamelo obviously did. Um how has that been? And are you surprised that these three guards playing as well together as they have? Um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised. I think you saw a little bit in, in James Borrego's first two years that he's experimented with this kind of smaller guard lineup. I think in the first year he was there, you know, he would run Kemba, Tony Parker and Malik sometimes in the third quarter together. Um, last year, again, he would run Devante, Terry and Malik, uh, maybe one of the Martin twins as well. Um, so there definitely has been a history of using this kind of lineup. Um, I think the biggest adjustment has maybe been Devonte this year, just because he was, I think the go-to guy last year, you know, had a huge breakout year, was top five in MVP voting or M excuse me, most improved player voting, um, was, I think finished top 10 in assists and three pointers at a huge, huge year. 
And uh, this year you bring in someone like Gordon Hayward, you bring in LaMelo Ball, um, and LaMelo started on the bench and kind of after the first few games, you kind of figured maybe it's only a matter of time. Um, so I think Devontae has done probably the best in terms of acclimating to the role. He's finding other ways to impact the game. I think he actually leads the team in net rating right now. Um, he's facilitating and, you know, he's not getting as many shots, but he's still finding ways to impact the game. Uh, so I would say not totally surprised at all that JB has found a way to make this three guard lineup work. Um, just because he's done it a little bit in the past with different guys. And it's been a lot of fun to watch and it kind of catches the other teams off. You play that small ball, they roll miles to the four and then PJ Washington to the five. So it's a lot of fun to watch when you got three guys that can all do something at a high level out there in that particular lineup for sure. How important has Cody Zeller been uh, back in the lineup for the, for the Hornets? Oh, really important. Yeah. That was a big blow on opening night when he fractured his hand. Um, I think he missed about a month or so. Um, and Bismarck Biombo, I think, filled in fairly well at times, but there just isn't much behind him in terms of centers. And they would P.J. Washington has been playing more small ball center this year, but that's a hard thing to kind of learn on the fly in that particular position. Um, so, yeah, Cody's come back, and he's been tremendous. I think he's been great veteran leader. He's been around. He's been on the franchise longer than anybody else continuously at this point. Um, great rebounding. He understands his role. Um, rebounding, screen setting, you know, drawing guys in sometimes, getting dump offs around the rim from Terry or Lamelo or any of the other guards that's driving. So um, he's been good. I mean, he's he's been really good. It's, he's a really big part of the team, and he provides a lot that you know those little kind of hustle stuff that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, but consistently it's you know ten, eleven points, seven, eight rebounds, um, and can handle the ball a little bit better. He's been he's been can move with the ball he's not um you know he's one of these i wouldn't say he's a full-on ball handling center that he's going to be pushing it up the court all the time but can certainly take on a couple different roles when necessary pj washington perhaps maybe the biggest question mark about what he can do, uh, in this league what do you make about his play this season and where do you think his ceiling lies and what what have you seen from him this year to indicate where he is in his development yeah, I think PJ's had. I think he started the year kind of a little up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, they always say that the 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 window between your rookie year and your sophomore year, or your first year and the second year, is always the most important. And it was so different this year with not really having the access to the facilities and the um, as much access to the facilities, and then uh, you know the the weird time off and things like that. So I think kind of an up and down year to start the year, but he certainly had flashes of wow, he can be really good. You saw it last year. I think sometimes now it's just kind of building on the consistency. You know, he could be a 15-point-per-game score in this league right now. He's got, you know, 38 39% three-point shooting, good rebounding. Um, passing has gotten a lot better this year. He's taken a step forward in a lot of different areas. He's not shooting nearly as many three-pointers anymore, but he's playing a little bit closer to the basket. I think he's got a, his post-game has really come along really well. His finishing at the rim has gotten a lot better. He's taking advantage of mismatches down low. He's got a nice little one-handed floater hook shot um, that he, I think if one of the games, and this is kind of a, maybe an outlier, but if you go back a couple of weeks ago, he had a 42-point game out in Sacramento that just completely blew away his career high. And you saw a little bit of everything that he could do there. He could attack the basket, finish at the rim, shoot threes, um, move with the ball. So he's 
he's another one of those guys that's gotten a little bit better in a ton of different areas or many different areas and kind of has really elevated his game just by getting a little bit better in two or three different things. Interesting. Um, Gordon Hayward, how has he changed uh, everything for the Hornets? Just being the, the solid veteran presence that I think they really needed, but also just helping uh, on the playmaking front and just what he has been for this team this year. What have you seen from him and uh, how critical is he to making the Hornets a playoff team and maybe the most fun team in the league? Uh, he's been huge. Um, again, his presence has been great. I think if you look at strictly on the court, you said it best. I mean, the, the playmaking and the ball handling um, for, for a guy that's six eight, six nine, um, that was kind of one of the motivating factors this year for James Borg was getting more guys and handle the ball. So instead of just having Terry and Devontae always bringing it up, now it's three or four guys on the court all at one time can bring the ball up and facilitate PJ. So, and Gordon's been a huge, huge part of that. So um, one thing that's impressed me with Gordon a lot this year is, and I've watched him in his career, not obviously to this extent, but he's so good at picking his spots on the floor. He can hit three pointers, really, really, really good mid range game can finish around the basket. Great free throw shooter. I think earlier in the year, I don't know what he's at now, but he was kind of flirting with 50, 40, 90, probably a little, shade below in each one of those right now um and defensively he's been really good too you know he's got a six guy that's six eight that can switch on to multiple different positions um has been great and then in terms of just off the court i mean he's been in the league for i think this is his 11th season he's been to the playoffs he's been an all-star i think he's one of the second or third leading scorers in his draft class i mean he's a great guy for you to point at your young guys and say if you want to stay in the league for 10 or 15 years look at what gordon hayward's doing look at how he handles himself look at how he, you know, works and things like that. So I think it's it's been great for Gordon this year. And I think personally Gordon's just, I think he's been uh, rejuvenated a little bit. You know, we all know what kind of transpired in Boston with the injury and then basically lost another year just trying to work his way back from the injury um, and then kind of being a fourth, fourth option there really last season behind Brown and Tatum and Kemba. Um, I just think he needed a change of scenery and a new role. And I think he's really – shown the kind of player that he is capable of being that we all kind of expect him to be in Boston obviously it's been no fault of his own but you're seeing kind of the player he is he's a 20 20 points per night seven eight rebounds six or seven assists kind of guy um and yeah he's been huge for this team absolutely huge last thing and we'll wrap up here um James Rego as a head coach how much do you think how much of a look do you think he deserves as coach of the year this year what has he done specifically that like outside of just acclimating all these new faces and just acclimating Lamelo, acclimating gordon hayward getting cody zeller back after losing him so quickly early in the season um what has been the most impressive thing that you would point to as to like this guy deserves serious look as coach of the year it's a great question i'm going to be pretty biased here um yeah, it's been kind of an interesting, you know, just to kind of circle back, you know, he started his first year here and the team was kind of at a different trajectory um, in terms of the playoffs with Kemba and Jeremy Lamb and Tony Parker was here that year too. Um, so, and then next year, last year took kind of a step back, took a more developmental route, obviously didn't get the season uh, finished the way we wanted to. But this year, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, everyone has, development has been so big and you factor in how much better some of these guys have gotten over the summer with limited resources and access to the facility. And, you know, the way that the team has kind of transformed from, you know, adding the big pieces and Gordon and LaMelo and the way it's, it's kind of transformed into this, you know, the pace is up, I think top 10 now in the league offense is 
around top 15 defense is top 15. I think they were kind of towards the bottom there last year. Um, and I think you look at the clutch time stuff too. I think they're second in the league right now in clutch time winning percentage, seven, maybe 17th last year and 20th the year before. Um, and I think that's what's kind of made them so exciting is winning a lot of these close games down at the end. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of great coaches in the league, and I think James Borrego is right up there in terms of the work he's done with this team. It's He's found a way to keep making sure the young guys get better while incorporating veterans and making sure that there's kind of a balance, too. So it hasn't been easy for sure. And, you know, the, what's made them so exciting and the success is, isn't just something that just naturally happened overnight. Your young guys don't just naturally get better because they get older and more experienced. There is a process put in place. So, I think he's done a great job. The staff has done a great job. And the organization's done a great job in kind of empowering him and getting the pieces around him, drafting guys, adding guys in free agency um, the last couple of years that have made what you're seeing right now possible. Interesting. Um, what can we check out from you at Hornets.com this week, Sam? Um, from Hornets.com this week or just in general? Uh, both. Um, well, a lot of game previews. We're just starting a, a West Coast trip right mm-hmm. now tonight in Denver. And then we have a couple games in Los Angeles and then a couple games in Texas. So um, we've got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of crew on the road. It's not just me. I mean, our social accounts, at Hornets on Twitter, at Hornets, Facebook and Instagram. We've got a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, we've started a show this year called Real Access that kind of goes really behind the scenes of everything the team has been going through in such a unique and exciting year with all the new faces and some of the – um, recent success. So, um, Hornets.com, you got everything. It's not just me. We got a ton of great people working hard, getting different stuff, videographers, social, graphic design. Um, it's all over our, our social pages and our website too. But in terms of writing, I, a lot of game previews, a lot of game recaps, um, human interest stories when I can, um, you know, fit them in and stuff like that. So it's been a busy year, a lot of condensed games. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pumping out a lot of content right now, but it's been a lot of fun, challenging, but a lot of fun this season so far. All right. Well, keep up the great work. Good luck out there and yeah, stay safe. Thank you. thank you so much, Sam. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for having me. All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas podcast and I am now joined by someone who knows a program that I watched way too much of this past fall in BYU, but a fun watch, a fun watch indeed. Jay Drew of Desert News. Jay, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your podcast today. Thanks for being here. Uh, how tired of you? Uh, how tired are you of um, talking about Zach Wilson? How many Jets? I know you tweeted about how many Jets podcasts there were out there. Um, just because it seems like that. Uh, is where he might end up at number two. Um, how tired of you are you of talking about uh, Zach Wilson at this point? Oh, it's uh, he's such a good kid and a and a great player that it's it's fine. I just uh, kind of tweeted that out tongue in cheek. It's uh, <laughs> I'm happy to talk about him. He's a he's a good young man and he's accommodating and he helped me out the last you know three years that I've covered him in Provo at BYU. So. Uh, I'm always happy to talk about him. What do, you, what do you like most about Zach Wilson, the person? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
you know, I don't think I've ever been around a more driven college athlete to get hmm. better and a guy that accepts criticism and that just this kid just eats, lives, drinks, breathes football. Um, when he's not playing or practicing, he's watching film. Um, he's been this way since he was just a little kid, really working towards this ultimate goal that he's had of playing in the NFL. So, um, he's got a really fun personality. He's uh, witty and clever. He's not afraid to kind of take it or dish it out as far as, you know, good natured ribbing, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, about when it comes to his craft, he's very serious and um, you could just see his growth in the three years that, that he was at BYU and, and his just otherworldly desire to get better every every week, every month, every year. And it's paying off for him now. Um, how did it all change for Zach Wilson in 2020? Did you see anything that was just a big jump from who he was as a quarterback in 2019 to 2020? What was the biggest thing you saw that was different that made him such a special player this fall? Probably his health. He was finally healthy. He, uh, um, as has been well documented, after his freshman season, he had shoulder surgery on his throwing arm, throwing shoulder. And he went into the 2019 season not fully 100%. And you could really, you could see that in the velocity on his throws. Um, and then, uh, and then, four or five games into the season he broke his thumb trying to make a tackle after an interception and then when he came back he really wasn't the same um so this last season 2020 he was fully healthy and you could really see that that was really noticeable he could throw the deep ball with ease um and he had more confidence just in his mobility um and uh, and he played a little more cautiously as far as not taking unnecessary hits. So I guess that would be the biggest improvement or just the biggest change I saw that that uh, he was finally fully healthy and and uh, his arm strength had returned to what we had seen during his freshman year. How does BYU, BYU build off uh, twenty twenty? What like which is such a special season. Um... How do they build off of it in 2021? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, obviously, uh, they're not just losing Zach Wilson. The Cougars are losing, um, you know, like 90% of their um, offense and uh, production or something like that. I think it's like they lose more production than any program in the country. Uh, Dax Milne, who's, who emerged as Zach's favorite receiver, opted to go early to the NFL uh, they lose two or three key offensive linemen. So um, it will be difficult, and especially with the schedule that BYU has, um, which was very similar to the original schedule that was canceled due to COVID. Um, a lot of those teams, are they'll play this year, like Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Stanford, uh, Boise State. I could just go down the line. They got a really, really difficult schedule with, I think, seven Power 5 programs on it. So um, it will be very difficult. That Coach Kalani Satake has his work cut out for him 
He lost his offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, who went to Baylor and uh, promoted from within a guy named Aaron Roderick, who had been the quarterback's coach. So um, you're right when you when you suggest that there's a rough road ahead of BYU, just because of uh, it's a it's definitely a rebuilding season. I, I know coaches hate to use that word, but but I can't think of a better word to describe where BYU sits right now than rebuilding. A lot of people may not know this, but Jeff Grimes is gone. Like this is, if you're a casual football fan, you may not know that Jeff Grimes went to Baylor for the same position as offensive coordinator under Dave Aranda at Baylor after things did not work out with uh, Larry Fedora the previous year. Um, Grimes just put together this great dominant offense at BYU and they promoted from within. Um, Are you at all worried about the loss, not only of Zach Wilson, but of Jeff Grimes um, in 2021? Yeah, I think it'll be a, a a factor. I I I have full confidence in Aaron Roderick, uh, who was kind of a Grimes protege, who who came aboard when Grimes did, um, and, and basically was a vital part of that offense as the passing game coordinator and as the quarterbacks coach. But Jeff Grimes was a really great leader. He was a great motivator, and. Uh, and he he installed an offense that was very creative and innovative and got the best out of uh, the players. So that will be Aaron Roderick's task now to continue that. I think he, he'll be able to, but there's no question that losing Jeff Grimes to Baylor is huge. And then also it should be noted that he took the offensive line coach, Eric Mateos, from BYU with him to Baylor. And... Uh, BYU hired uh, Daryl Funk, who's been around at a lot of different places, to be kind of a veteran offensive line coach. But but Eric Mateus was a really good recruiter, and uh, and so that they're going to miss that part too. And it'll be interesting to see how they move forward. Offensive line has kind of been a BYU strength. It's kind of the type of uh, player they get. Um, being affiliated with the uh, you know the Mormon Church and getting guys who go on two-year church missions and return and they're a little more mature and bigger and stronger and uh, so that's always a position of strength but you got to recruit those guys and uh, Eric Mateus was really really good at it so it'll be interesting to see if the new guy can step in and keep that pipeline going. What are some spring storylines in Provo that you're interested in following right now well the biggest one is who's going to replace zach wilson they've got four guys uh that are vying for the spot which is kind of a crowded uh quarterback derby usually you know you just there's two maybe three but they got four guys that they're saying they're all capable um so that's that's the the big one um the the other one is probably they lost a lot of guys on the defensive line and at, in the defensive backfield at safety, so they're literally replacing seven starters on defense, uh, which is a pretty big number. Um, so that's another storyline. And then, uh, and then you know, I think a, a big one is just how are they going to uh, repeat what they did last year, going eleven and one against this really, really 
difficult schedule. Um, and it's kind of, uh, there was some skepticism about BYU last year nationally and where they should be ranked in the, you know, in the college football playoff rankings. And a lot of people in this part of the country thought they were, you know, underrated. They, they didn't get as good of a, a ranking as they deserved. And, and this is the opportunity to kind of validate those sentiments and, uh, albeit against a, a, a more difficult schedule. So, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot on the line for this program this year to kind of validate what they did last year. Last thing and we'll wrap up here. Um, you mentioned four guys in the mix. Who do you think is the early favorite to be under center for BYU in week one? Yeah, I'm kind of leaning toward uh, a Baylor Romney. Um, the reason why is when, when uh, Zach Wilson was out in 2019, uh, Baylor Romney stepped in and won some really big games. He beat Boise State as the starter. He beat Utah State. He beat Liberty. And uh, and then he suffered kind of a turf toe-like injury and about the same time Zach Wilson was coming back. Um so he's got kind of the most experience, and uh, so I would probably give the nod to him, um, at least early. Um, he's not a flashy guy. He wasn't a big-time recruit like the other. They have a guy named Jacob Conover from Arizona who was a four-star recruit, and they beat BYU beat out a lot of Pac-12 schools to get him. So he's kind of the big name of the group, but I think the safe pick right off the is the guy who's been there and done that, and that would be Baylor Romney. So that's the guy I'm leaning towards as as the opening day starter. All right. Jay, what can we check out from you at Desert News? Yeah, you you know, we're right in the middle of spring camp at BYU, so I've been writing about uh, this young defense, um, how they're holding their own in spring camp scrimmages so far and then i've uh, profiled each of the um quarterbacks the four quarterbacks that i mentioned uh basically one week at a time so those are all there at desert.com for uh, for people to check out and read up on those guys all right well go do that and keep up the great work jay thank you so much for making the time no problem have a great day Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.